Good morning. It's good to see you today. Thank you so much for being here. We, believe it or not, some of you thought this day would never come, we are wrapping up the book of Acts today. Last two chapters of Acts, we have made it. Acts 27 and 28, if you want to be turning there in your Bible or on your device, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, and I'm going to kind of map out for you here in just a second, the next few weeks, so you know where we're headed. But a couple of weeks ago, I showed you that Sydney had tried her hand drawing on my iPad, and this week Emery did, so here's Emery's pineapple for you. Um, they both like drawing fruit, and then Emery gave us a cross with the world down here. Um, God has the ability to save the world was the truth she wrote on there. So I told her I would show that to you today. Um, next five weeks, the month of May, just so you know where we're headed. We're wrapping up Acts today as far as chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but I thought it would be really good for us to take a week next week um, and just say, hey, the whole book, let's put these pieces together, you know, everything that we've covered over the past few months. What are the biggest things that God has shown you or taught you or even just the themes that he's hammered over and over and over for you in your heart and your mind. And so if you'll be thinking through that this week, if you want to look back at your notes, if you want to read the whole book, you could read four chapters a day this week and make it through Acts in a week. Um, but that's going to be the plan next week. It's kind of a summary, just a big picture look at this is everything we covered in Acts. Here's the whole story of this book. Let's put it together. The week after that, you know, I know we've been taking like really, really, really big chunks for a while. We were doing a chapter at a time. We have done two chapters at a time. And it's great to study the Bible that way. It gives us a lot of context. But I also don't want you to get the impression, hey, that's the only way you can read, the only way you can study is these huge sections. So for a little while, we're going to like slow down and take smaller pieces. So May 8th, I've got Psalm 23 for us to, to text through it and study through it in this way. But we may not even take the whole psalm. I may just take a small piece, and we'll study that together and see what God says to us. May the 15th, and I'm giving you a whole chapter so that you can read in advance the whole chapter if you want to, but every one of these I think we're going to pull you know, like a paragraph or a section out of it. May 15th is going to be Hebrews 7. And then on May 22nd, does anybody know what BDW stands for? I heard a chuckle. One guy knows. He's got some inside information, though. Big Daddy Word is preaching on May 22nd. Our student pastor, Eric Moreno. Um, I'm going to be in Peru uh, along with Darren Foster. Darren taught back uh, the last Sunday that we were in First Thessalonians. We're going down to work with Miguel and Faith um, for a week. They've asked us to come down and basically do kind of a conference and a training with a whole lot of the leaders in their ministry and the coaches in their soccer teams and some of the churches they're working with on studying the Bible this way and teaching the Bible this way. And so we're excited to get down there and do that. Uh, but the Sunday when I'm down there, Eric's going to teach for us. And also while we're down there, our hope is to scout out um, some opportunities maybe to take some teams in the future, um, maybe some teams from Friendship, and head down there and just keep partnering with them as their ministry grows and they're reaching these new areas. Um, so if you'll be praying just both for that weekend as we're training those leaders that God would really multiply and make disciples because they will be leaving and heading to you know, all regions of Peru, um, and they've got a lot of, of kids and students underneath them that they'll be teaching this way. Um, and so we're excited to get down there and about the possibilities in the future, what that partnership may look like uh, and future teams that we may be taking down there. And then the last week of the month, we're going to be in John 15. And again, probably not the whole chapter, but if you like to study ahead, read ahead, text ahead on your own, here's the month of May. When we get a little further in, I'll give you June and July. But that'll let us get out of, you know, one book, big chunks the whole time, because that's a great way to study the Bible, 
but also sometimes sitting down and zeroing in and saying, hey, let's really focus on a verse here or a chapter here or a paragraph here or whatever it is. Um, so we're going to do that for a few weeks. But today, it's Acts 27 and 28, the last two chapters. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read these two chapters, and we're going to be asking the first question, what's this teach us about God? And then if these things are true about God, what's he saying to us this morning? What's he want to say to our hearts? How does he want to work in our lives? What does it mean for us as his people and as his church? And so if you'll be listening along those lines as we read, we'll hear what God says to us. But let's pray right now. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to give us your spirit and to teach us by your spirit from your word. And we ask you to do that right now. On the spiritual level where only you work, the the things in our hearts and in our minds that, that only you can do by the power of your spirit, we ask you to do them right now. We ask you to do it in the name of Jesus because we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, we can't make it happen but we know that you give it freely in him. And so we thank you for that. And so please, right now, Father, open us up spiritually to the truth of your word and open the truth of your word up to us so that we can see you and know you and trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Acts 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Am... And by the way, always on these words, I tell you this. Like, I just say them and keep going. I've got no idea. So don't... Like, I have no idea. Andramatium, that's what it's going to be today. And embarking in a ship, which is about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, 
fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach." But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. 
They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, that's the end of the book of Acts. I know that was a lot, so I'll give you a second to process, but what's that teach us about God? What stands out to you today? What were the things that just popped up to you and you feel like the Spirit's showing you a truth about who God is, how He works, His nature, His character? 
Go ahead whenever you're ready. God has many promises for us that he always keeps. It is both pieces of that. Um, when we were walking through Genesis a couple of years ago with Pastor Michael, it stood out to me how often God shows up to people, like unprompted. What I mean, like nobody has done anything, asked him for something, like it's just within himself. <laughs> he makes this decision, he does it, he's the reason that he does it, he prompts himself. But he shows up and just makes these promises to people who aren't looking for it and aren't expecting it. That, that yeah, he, he's faithful and keeps his promises, he's a promise keeper, but it also stands out that he's a promise maker, that he... He likes to show up and say, here's the things I'm going to do. Here's the things I'm going to do for you. Here's the promises I make. Trust me. Believe that I'm going to bring this about. And so, you know, just a few chapters ago when Paul's in prison and it looks like he's never getting, you know, never getting to Rome, Jesus shows up in the middle of the night and says, take heart, take courage, be encouraged. Just like you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you've also got to testify about me in Rome. And he makes his promise. You are going to get there. And now here we are, like, that's prison, that's the, the worldly powers, political powers opposed to everything Paul's doing, and Jesus is like, they're not going to stop you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use them to get you to Rome. And now here he is on his way on a ship, and it looks like all of nature is turning against him now. This huge storm, there's no way they can get through it. None of the men on the boat can handle it. It's too much for them. And in the middle, in the middle of prison, God shows up and makes a promise. Now in the middle of the storm, in the darkest night, when they haven't seen the sun or the stars for days and days and days, God sends this angel with this message of, you're going to get to Rome. I'm going to save everybody on this boat. And so, you know, God makes these promises, and then God keeps them. Like, the, when the book ends, Paul is exactly where Jesus said Paul would be, in spite of prison. And Paul's exactly where God said that Paul would be, in spite of the storm, in spite of the shipwreck. God makes these promises. God keeps these promises. What else stands out to you? God's will will not be thwarted. You know, once, once Jesus shows up to Paul and says, you will testify about me in Rome, now he comes back and says, you must stand before us. It has to happen. Jesus said it was going to happen. It has to happen. Nothing's going to stop it. The Jews aren't going to stop it. The Romans aren't going to stop it. Storms aren't going to stop it. Foolish captains of ships aren't going to stop it. Right? The, 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 the soldiers on the ship that want to till, kill the prisoners aren't going to stop it. Like God's working through all that, protecting Paul to bring about his promise because it's his will that Paul will testify in Rome. You know, the, the center of the world will hear the gospel from God's missionary. What else stands out to you? Yeah, God encourages Paul with an angel and really with 
a message from God. You know, God speaks to encourage. And then God encourages Paul. with other believers. And then God encourages, in the midst of all this, others through Paul. And it's kind of like we could split this out in ten different directions here. And talk about a lot of different stuff with it. But just the first thing, you know, keep in mind where Paul is. We're talking about years in prison now. Lots of opposition. Lots of, like, seeming defeats. Um, he, he's stood trial before multiple different rulers who had the power to set him free. None of them have set him free. His own people want to kill him. Keep trying to figure out a way to kill him. Like, his only... Appealing to Caesar is about like us in our country taking your case to the Supreme Court. Like, I've tried everything else, and nothing's gone the way that I hoped it would or that I think it should have. Here's my last resort. Right? Your decision, your decision, your decision have not been what they should have been. Maybe Caesar will overturn it. Maybe the Supreme Court will overturn it. That's what's really going on here. So lots of defeats, lots of time in prison, a lot of frustration of what he thinks is Jesus' purpose for his life, that Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles to be a missionary who travels and makes disciples and starts churches, and he can't do any of that. And, and you think about that dragging out for years. And you realize how gracious God is to give Paul exactly what Paul needs right now. You think Paul needs encouragement? <laughs> you think Paul needs the reminder of, hey, I'm still doing this. I'm still in control. This is still working the way that I planned for it to work. You're still where I want you. I'm still using you. you know, and so just that it's, it's gracious of God. It's good of God. It's God seeing Paul where Paul is. Like knowing the details of his life, knowing his emotional condition. And just hear that in the application for your own life. God sees where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He's good and gracious to come to you there and meet you there. And, and sometimes it is going to be years. Like don't think that just because it's dark for years, just because you feel like you've been in prison for years, just because the storm has lasted way longer than it seems like a storm should last, don't think that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know, that God's not there with you. He is. And so God encourages Paul with this angel who has a word from God. And part of it sometimes is, is to, to, for our hearts to learn that this is where encouragement from God comes from. That's why like every week that I would say, are you spending time in his word? Are you hearing the words of encouragement that he wants to give to you? Are you coming and saying, what's this teach about God? If I see who God is today, God's got something to show me that'll encourage me today. You know, maybe he's speaking and you're not listening sometimes. And so I just, I just want to keep just prodding you and pushing you into that. Like, will you put yourself in a place where you hear from him? Will you ask him to speak? Will you listen? And so this encouragement from the message from God to Paul, but then when Paul gets to Rome, these other believers show up. And so you, know, you see God using his word, and then you see God using his people. 
And you see this, this idea of community and relationship and togetherness and oneness in the body of Christ. And these are believers. Listen, this isn't even like us, where it's like, hey, we're the same place, same culture. We get together every single week. We, we've got some level of familiarity with each other. That's not what this is. They've never met Paul before. He's never been to Rome. He's been trying to get to Rome for years. And so these believers in Rome, they don't know Paul at all personally. And yet they share something with him in the gospel, a connection with him in Jesus that's greater than all the things that they don't share. Like, like all the ways that they've never been connected, the stuff that we usually think matters is smaller than this one huge thing of we believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus. We're connected to Jesus and you're connected to Jesus, so we're connected to one another. And so God uses community and other believers to encourage Paul. And then as Paul is receiving that from God, we see him encouraging other people. Even the, even the unbelievers on the ship, he's like, hey, God has given me a word of encouragement. Let me share this with you. Let me tell you who he is and his grace towards you and his goodness towards you. And this idea of spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer, hearing from God, letting him fill you up with his gifts to you, his encouragement for you, his strength for you, that it's never just about you. Like it's not just, okay, I've got what I want, so I'm good now. That when you're getting what you need from God, it frees you to stop thinking about yourself. Like it's no longer, well, I've got to go get this for me. God's given it to you. He's taking care of you. And now you can pour out to others. I don't have to hoard for me because I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough and I don't have this for anybody. No, God's giving you what you need. Pour that out to others. He frees you to love with his gifts of grace to you. And so, yeah, there's a lot packed in there. What else stands out to you? Yeah, I made, I made the note, and I just said, again, you know, if, you, if you've been with us through the, just the whole book of Acts, not just Paul's story in the second half, but the first half, too, with the early church in Jerusalem, like, once again, God uses the storm, and God shows up in the storm, and in the pitch black darkness. You know, that, that God is at work in the middle of this storm. And God's using this, like, there's an entire island that encounters Paul and the gospel and they see the grace of God and, and healing these people. They have an experience with God's missionary bringing God's gospel to Malta that none of that would have happened if the storm didn't shipwreck this boat. You know, and it's, and it, the storm doesn't stop Paul from getting to Rome the way that God's promised. You know, God, the storm can't stop God. But on top of that, the storm sends Paul to another island that he wasn't going to go to if it wasn't for the storm. And then also, even before he gets there, this is God, you know, when they haven't seen sun or stars for days and days and days, and God shows up, it's like, I'm going to save everybody. Like, I will get you to Rome because I said I will, and then in my grace, I won't just get you there, I'll get everybody there. And so, yeah, God uses the storms, God shows up in the storms, God shows up in the darkest, blackest moments. What else stands out to you? Humanity would rather be in a storm than to ever listen to, uh, ever listen to anyone 
in our pride. We put ourselves in storms. <laughs> That's what you were saying. In our pride, we put ourselves in storms because we measure by external appearance. That's, that's just too bad. Let's try it again. Appearance and status. And what Eric's talking about right here is up front, Paul's like, hey, you don't need to sail right now. It's going to get really bad if you sail right now. But Paul's a prisoner. And the, the way it says it, let's see if we can find it. Nine. Thanks. Paul advised them in verse 10 here, I perceive the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And he, he says, you're a slave, here's the pilot, no chance I'm listening to you. Right? Who's got more status? Who, who looks like the person that I should listen to? And, and there's not wisdom in this case in doing that. And it's just the things we measure by are not the things that really matter most of the time. These external things that we can see with our eyes, position, power, status, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and in our pride, we're drawn to the stuff that looks good. And we're like, no, you're not going to speak to me. Who are you to tell me that? No way. Like, if anything, they were more likely to sail now because this prisoner's telling them not to. And what happens? Their pride leads them straight into a storm. And this is in all of us. What else? Right. Yeah, and the, the, uh, the illustration that we get here with uh, the centurion and, and, and the pilot of the ship then gets played out spiritually here at the end with the Jews because, it, you know, it's... What does it say? And Paul said this one sentence. So they stay and they listen to Paul. You know, they hear everything he says. It says that he's there like all afternoon, right? From morning till evening. Here it is. From morning till evening, he's telling them about Jesus. And he's using their Bible, right? The law of Moses and the prophets, that's what we know as the Old Testament now, but that was the whole Bible at that time. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So they listen all day until, right, they departed after Paul makes this one statement. Now, what's interesting is he still quotes their Bible here, right? He quotes to them something that God said to them, through Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, 700 years before, but it says this, go to this people and say, you're never going to understand. <laughs> you're never going to perceive because your heart is dull and you don't hear with your ears and you've closed your eyes. Like, if you would turn, I would heal you. And so it's a word of conviction for these Jews from a Jewish prophet in the Jewish Bible the Jewish God speaking to his people, but in their pride, they won't hear that word. 
They won't hear a word that says, you're a mess. You're blind spiritually. You're deaf spiritually. Your heart's hard spiritually. You're turned away from God spiritually. And this has to change in you. That something has to be broken and humbled in you and you need to realize that you aren't what you need to be and you don't have what you need and you're not the answer. And God, God's offering it in grace. Just turn to me and I'll heal you. I'll fix this. I'll heal your blind eyes and I'll, I'll heal your deaf ears and I'll heal your hard heart. But you have to turn from yourself and your pride and your self-reliance and, and all your self-righteousness in your religion and turn to me. That's what he's saying there. And then like the kicker is, so, because you won't, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, the people that you think are the outcasts, the people that you think are rejected, the people that you think could never be God's people, they will be my people. Because they are everything that you're saying, right? They're sinners, they're pagans, they're far from God. But because of that, they're not proud of that. <laughs> You're religious and you think you've got it all together and you think you've got all the answers that you can debate intellectually with Paul all day and in your pride, that makes you feel secure. They know they don't have what they need. They'll listen. They'll respond. And so, yeah, we do see that in, in their pride, they lead themselves into a spiritual storm and they refuse to listen to God's offer to bring them out of it. And it is also is a real attack on their pride when they think, their identity is we're the people of God. We're the people of God. They're not. We're holy. They're not. We're clean. They're not. We're chosen. They're not. We're accepted. They're not. And God shows up in Jesus and says, I choose them. I accept them. I make them holy. I make them clean. They're my people. And all that shatters all the, the things that they had as their identity that weren't really were connected to God by faith. We're trusting God. We are who we are because he makes us that. And this is why they're so, so opposed to Paul's message, which is Jesus' message, which is the gospel. Because they had these things that made them feel important, and the gospel blew all those things up. And instead of letting go of those things and grabbing hold of the gospel and saying, we need Jesus and we need the grace of God to define us and save us and rescue us and make us who we're supposed to be, they just doubled down all the more and said, no, this is who we are. How dare you be opposed to who we are? So yeah, I mean, you got all kinds of pieces here with the way that our pride blinds us spiritually. What else? <laughs> kind of the whole history of the world. Right, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. What Tyson said there, in case you didn't hear him or if you're listening online, was that this verse is the whole book of Acts. And it is. It's the perfect bookend to the book of Acts starts that way. right? With Jesus, you're, you're eight verses in in Acts 1-8, and Jesus says you know, that the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll receive power from on high. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, starting with the Jews, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, from the very beginning, he tells them up front, yeah, it is for the Jews. It's not that the Jews are being excluded. It's for the Jews, and you're going to go to them first, but you're going to go through the Jews to the ends of the earth. It is for everyone. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus' death is big enough for everyone. Jesus' death is sufficient for everyone. God's grace is offered to everyone, like to anyone who will believe. And, and 
you, you trigger this for me, so I'll go back to it in just a second. If I don't do this, as soon as I get done right here, remind me to go back to the thing that God says about him being on the ship and him saving everybody. And so it's offered to everybody from the beginning, and Jesus is like, and this is the point of my church and the mission for my church, and the purpose that I'm giving you if you're going to follow me is ends of the earth, everybody, all people. Enough grace for everybody. And we get to the very end of the book, and it's Paul standing in front of the Jews and saying, hey, this is for everybody. And he is, you know, ends of the earth. Like, when you get to the center of the Roman Empire, you're reaching the whole world at that time. Like, it's happening the way Jesus said it would happen, and the message is still exactly the same, and the purpose is still exactly the same. And so you're right, it is the whole book of Acts. And talking about it being for everybody, back up here on the ship, this stood out to me. Um, I put it down in my notes, and it seems a good time for us to look at it. Right before, it's when they're trying to escape. You know, God's made this promise, hey, I'm going to save you. And the, and the way he said it, I think, we can just look for it. We'll take our time here. Tell me if you see God's promise, what verse it's in, then we'll go back down to the ship. Um, okay, there's where they start sailing. Now they're in trouble. Now they're in the storm. There's no sun or stars for many days. Here we go. So Paul's telling now that God appeared to him. This very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. That also, oh, we're just doing all this stuff. This, the storm's scary, right? Like being stuck in the middle of a storm that can destroy your boat and kill you. And you've been stuck in it for days and days and days and nobody's eaten and the soldiers are thinking about killing the prisoners. <laughs> don't be afraid. Why? How can he even say that? What's at the heart of it, I think, is he's the question of will you look at the storm or will you look at God? Will you look at your circumstances or will you look at the promise that God has made? If you look at the storm, it's going to be scary. And nothing that he says right here is going to stop the storm from looking scary. If you look at your circumstances, it looks really scary. It looks really bad. It looks really dark. But you have a word from God. He's made a promise. Do you remember that he's faithful? Do you remember that he's good? Do you remember that he loves you? Do you remember that he's sovereign? Do you remember that he's all-powerful? Do you remember that his will cannot be thwarted? You look at all that, you don't have to be afraid of this. But when your eyes aren't on that, you will be afraid of this. And so this don't be afraid, Paul, is really don't look at the storm. I know you're in the storm, but look at me in the storm. Listen to me in the storm. Believe me in the storm. Focus on me in the storm. Like, it's not, it is not deny the reality of your emotions. Like, just buck up and don't be afraid. Like, make up your mind that you won't be afraid of this storm. That's not what he's saying. It's not deny the reality of your emotions. It's remember there's a reality bigger than your emotions. God's bigger than the storm, and God's bigger than how you feel about the storm. And if you will focus in faith, just keep focusing your heart on him, then you'll know you don't have to be afraid. Your emotions may tell you to be afraid, but you'll know you don't have to be. Like your heart will know you don't have to be afraid. So don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. has to happen, because Jesus said it was going to happen a few chapters ago. And behold, on top of this, like it's not just God saying, I'm going to do this because it's my will, but also here's my grace. Like just... Added bonus, behold, God has granted grace to you, all those who sail with you. He's going to save all of them. So Paul says, so take heart. Don't be afraid, because I have faith it'll be exactly as I've been told. Like, exactly what God said God will do. 
So then we get down here. Oh, and I'm sorry, I didn't. All those who sail with you, see that? The way he says it there, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Now, down here, the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. If they escape from the ship, what are they no longer doing? The last thing we just looked at. No longer sailing with Paul, right? So Paul's on the ship. God makes a promise. I'll save all those who sail with you. If they get off the ship, they're not sailing with Paul anymore, right? And so Paul stops them, and he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. No other way. God will save you on this ship. He won't save you any other way. And I think we just, the, the illustration we see there, the, the first part is what Tyson was talking about, about God offers this grace to everybody on the ship. Everybody. Like, in one sense, the only one directly serving his purpose right here is Paul. He wants to get Paul to Rome so that Paul can testify about Jesus and his gospel in Rome. But God offers the grace to everybody. But then God also says there's only one place where the grace is found. And I was, I was just thinking about the perfect illustration it is of the grace that God offers to everyone in Jesus. In Jesus, I will save all of you. I will forgive all of your sins. I will make you all right with me. I will accept anyone and everyone in Jesus. It is a worldwide, all-inclusive offer. It does not matter your background. It does not matter your past, your mistakes, your failures, your sin. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your gender, your class, your nationality, your race, your cultural differences. None of it. I will save all in Jesus. But then also, but it has to be in Jesus. It is the widest offer in the whole world, and it's the most narrow offer in the whole world. And they're both simultaneously just like, you try to get here any way other than Jesus, you won't get here. You get off the ship that is Jesus, you will die. I offer it to everyone, but only in Jesus. And we could go lots of directions when you talk about engaging people from other faith backgrounds, like other, other religions, that, that, there is, that God has grace for them. But only in Jesus. Like Jesus is the defining characteristic of everything that God says about himself and in the gospel. The, the, the conversation always ultimately has to come back to Jesus. But then, instead of putting it out there, like in here for us, like the danger is that, that there is this ship of grace, and God has said, listen, everybody is welcome. Anybody can board this ship in Jesus, and I will take you to me. I will save you. But the danger is that we hop off that ship and we start trying to row in our own little rowboat. Here's what I'll do. Here's, what I, like, here's my plan. It, it'd be better for me to be in that boat than this boat. <laughs> like, I see how this would work out better for me. And here's what I can do. I can row pretty good. Let me show you. Let me show you all my religious activities and my religious achievements. And God's like, you will die that way. I will save you. But you have to come to the place where I say I'll save you. And it's here in Jesus. And then, like to flip it back around to what Tyson said, because it's in Jesus and because it's by grace, that's why it's for everybody. <laughs> they don't have to earn it. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to prove they're good enough. None of us can. 
And nobody has to. He's offering it to everybody, but he's offering it where he offers it, in Jesus. And Jesus alone. What else stands out to you? One or two more. Yeah, God will. Right. God will ensure a way for the spread of his gospel against all odds. Insure, I N S U R E, or insure, E N. Somebody tell me. E. Hey, I was right the first time. He also insures it, right? Guarantees it. Um, God will insure a way for the spread of his gospel against all odds. Yeah, that, that Paul comes to Rome to these Jews who could have been already really, really closed off to him, and God's kept that door open where Paul gets to share the gospel with all of these Jews. And a lot of them reject it, but it says that some of them believe that God's kept the door open for them to believe. Um, and you do, like if you line up, just humanly speaking for a minute, you take God out of the last six chapters that we've read in Acts, there's just there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> like the odds against Paul, Paul should have died in Jerusalem, right? When, when that riot breaks out, there's no way you saved this one guy. And then you've got all of the Jewish religious leaders and political leaders opposed against Paul, and you've got them launching these plans to execute Paul, right? you know, to, to assassinate him. And then you've got him in prison, and you've got the Roman leaders who don't care anything about Paul. Like, everywhere you turn, there's nothing in his favor. And now you've got just the travel itself and the storm, like all of it. Every single thing, humanly speaking, that you can see with your eyes and say, oh, we would need this, or this would really help, or it'd be nice if we had this. He's got none of it. Like, there's only one reason this happens. Because God has ensured that it will happen. Jesus has given his words, and Jesus is bringing about his words. Um, and I, I thought about this with the snake bite, too. Like, we didn't mention that yet. It's like, yeah, you got out of the storm. What happens? A snake bites you. Like just the, but I was thinking about with the snake bite that we, we missed the very thing you just said, that this is God doing this, God at work. What happens if Paul lands on that island and the snake doesn't bite him? How many of us in our mind think anything about that? Like, we just think that's normal, that's natural, that's just what happens, right? Like, we don't think, oh, God protected him and kept him alive. We just think nothing. But when the snake bites him, then we think, oh, God protected him. God's at work when you don't get bit by the snake, right? But the problem is, in our hard-heartedness and our spiritual blindness, we don't see God's hand in everything, that we don't see all the little mercies and graces and protection and goodness day by day by day by day that, that allows our life to run in a way that seems normal to us. And we don't see that as being God. We 
chalk it up to natural causes, and we insult God when we do that. But so then God lets these drastic moments happen. Okay, the snake bites you, and it doesn't kill you. And they're like, oh, that's God. Well, you're right, that is God. And all the times you didn't get bit by the snake was God too. And, and so I just, what I thought about that was, it was like, is God giving us a drastic illustration? Like, okay, I know you don't get, you usually don't get it. You don't see me. You don't look to me. You don't realize it's me. So here, let me do something louder. Let me do something where you will clearly know the reason Paul got to Rome is because I got Paul to Rome. The reason my gospel spread is because I spread my gospel. And the same way with, if Paul said, okay, I'm going to go to Rome next. And he's got the funds to do it, and he gets on a ship, and he sails over there, and he doesn't run into a storm, and he gets to Rome, and he tells people about the gospel in Rome. We're going to think, Paul did that. I mean, honestly, aren't we? Like, it's not going to cross our mind. God provided the funds for him, and God provided safe travel for him, and and God allowed him to speak freely in Rome. We should think that, and we may say that, but we don't really think that. But the deal is, when Paul has no way to get to Rome, and Paul's a prisoner, and Paul's in the middle of storms, and Paul's shipwrecked, and somehow Paul still gets to Rome and gets to share the gospel, then some of us will stop and be like, God's doing this. And I I do think that the way that God tells the story is a way where it will be clear that he is doing it. That if we are willing at all to soften our hearts and believe that he's the one doing this and to look to him and see him in it, we'll see that this is all because he's the one. He said it. He ensures it. He brings it about. He's using his people. like He's using Paul in really drastic ways. And Paul has to believe. You know, Paul says, I believe. By faith, I believe it'll be exactly as it was told to me. Paul's believing what he's saying. Paul's acting faithfully. But it's because God's made the promises and God's bringing it about. And I do think that we are, we're really prone to walk through our lives. And except for these really big moments, when I get bit by the snake and it doesn't kill me, when I survive the, the shipwreck, when I'm a prisoner, but somehow I end up where I'm supposed to be anyway, and I get to share the gospel, that, you know, that kind of stuff. We're like, God did that, God did that, God did that. And the rest of all this, we're not nearly as sensitive to seeing God in it and listening to God in it and hearing God in it and thanking God for it. And I think he gives us these. He's like, hey, open your eyes. Wake up. Look at me. And once you see me here, don't forget me here. So yeah, that's a great one. One more. Yeah, Jeremy just gave us a whole other sermon, and, uh, and we don't have time for it. But, but I do like, look at what he's saying here, because when we were reading this morning, this section stuck out in my mind, too, um, and we hadn't gotten back to it yet. First of all, the viper came out, bites him. They say he must be a murderer. Justice is going to get him after all. He shakes the creature off into the fire. So the first thing is, 
The snake can't stop God's gospel. In this story and in the story of the whole history of the world, the snake shows up in the garden and you think he's ruining God's plans and he's just setting the stage for God's redemption and God's grace. And the snake opposes and opposes and opposes and he can't stop God's gospel. That God undoes the effects of the snake. God is stronger than the effects of the snake. That, now this, no doubt this man is a murderer, no doubt he is. (laughs) And not just any kind of murderer. The kind of murderer that cloaked his murder in religious language and made it look good. And not the kind of murderer that was, I did the wrong thing and I'm sorry. The kind of murderer that said, I did the right thing and was justified in his own eyes in killing Christians. And not just, like, he's killing the people of God. But this is a true statement about Paul. And then you see God in his grace saying, but he won't take the punishment for this statement. God in his grace takes the punishment that Paul deserves and he lifts it off of Paul and he puts it on Jesus. And he says, Jesus will take this for you and you don't bear it anymore. Because Jesus takes this for you, you can be right with me. Paul is absolutely as bad as they say he is. Paul is worse than they say he is. And God's grace to him is greater than we can even possibly begin to imagine. I won't give you justice. I'll put justice on Jesus. And then I won't just set you at neutral. Like, okay, no punishment. You should be happy. It's, I take all your punishment and and, and justice. I satisfy it in Jesus. And then I'm going to take you, you self-righteous murderer who murdered my people, and I'm going to use you to make the gospel known. I'm going to choose you. And then I do think the way that the, 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 the natives in Malta look at it, they've got these two solutions. And it's the two things, it, this is exactly how natural religion and our hearts naturally speak. It's either you got what you deserved, right? The reason this happened to you is because you're bad and bad things happen to bad people. And we feel safe in that equation. Like at least, at least we can predict it and control it. Or then when nothing happens to him, Oh, you must be a God. Look how good you must be. <laughs> Neither one of those are the right answer. And that's a, but that is, that's what religion does. That's what like natural man-made, man-centered religion. Either you're bad and you get bad things, or you're good and you get good things. So you better be good and you better earn them. And whatever you get, it's because of you. You get the good stuff, well, that's to your credit. Praise you. You get the bad stuff, well, what have you done? Neither one of those are the gospel. He doesn't get bit by the snake because he deserves it. Jesus already got bit by the snake for him. He doesn't deserve it anymore. He gets bit by the snake because God intends to show his glory in this moment. And then also, he doesn't not die because he's such a good person. He doesn't not die because Jesus was such a good person and Jesus died in his place. That's why it happens. It happens because God intends to show his glory, and it happens because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for God to show his glory. That's the gospel. That's real religion. 
That's God-centered, God-revealed religion. And it blows up everything that we would think naturally and everything that we would think in our pride, everything that our blind eyes and deaf ears would hold on to that's about us. It's not about us. And that's a great place to end today. This last verse. I don't know if you think about the book of Acts as a piece of literature. Like somebody's written a story, written a book. In some ways, does this not feel like the most unsatisfactory conclusion to a book that you've ever read? And what I mean is, if you picked up in chapter 13 and you read the last 15, 16 chapters about Paul, and it, Luke just ends, is, does Paul get out of prison or not? How's the trial before Caesar go? Does he get executed or not? What happens next? And you're thinking, okay, so if the Gospel of Luke was like first Luke, and, and the book of Acts is second Luke, Surely there's a part three, right? Like there's that, he's setting us up for the next movie to come out. He's not. There's no part three in the New Testament. This is the end of the story right here. That, that, do you see what, does it feel just like open-ended? And I don't think that's an accident at all. Three things it reminded me of as we're wrapping up right here, just for the whole book. Number one, do you know why Luke doesn't tell us the end of Paul's story? I really think this is the real answer. Because this wasn't Paul's story. <laughs> The Bible is about who? God, Jesus. The Bible is about God revealing himself in Jesus. This was never about Paul. It's just that Paul's story for a little while overlapped with the story of what God was doing. You remember the first few chapters, Paul's not, Paul's not doesn't show up till chapter 8. You get Peter and John and James and, and, and Barnabas and, and all of them, interchangeable pieces that God is using for his purposes. And they have, they have significant chapters in this story. But it's God's story. They weren't there in Genesis. They weren't there in Exodus. They weren't there in First and Second Samuel. They weren't there in Job. They weren't there. You just go through the whole history of the Bible. None of those people are there in all of it, but God's always there. So, number one, this is God's story. It just is God's story. And God's story is not over. <laughs> He's still telling it. The second thing, this right here, without hindrance. The entire world has set itself against Paul. The Jewish religious leaders, the Roman political leaders, storms, shipwrecks, snakes. And the last word is, he's not hindered from speaking the gospel. He is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance. And I just I think of that the whole world has not stopped, and you could say not even hindered, God's gospel. That is the word that Luke wants to leave you with. God said this, God started this, God's doing this, God's still doing this, and God is not hindered. We're standing here 2,000 years later, almost. You know, 1,960 years after these events. And the gospel's still not hindered. Still spreading. People coming to faith in Jesus. Churches being planted, churches growing, disciples multiplying. The gospel has not been hindered. 
God is accomplishing his purposes. God is fulfilling his promises. And so it it feels like Luke's just stopping open-ended. He is. Because he's saying, here's the, the last word isn't a final word. The last word is, this is still going on. And that's the third thing that I wrote down. The story is not over. The gospel is still spreading through God's people. See, the other great thing about this not being Paul's story, not being about Paul, it doesn't end when Paul dies. And the great thing about God using Peter and James and John and Barnabas and Silas and Paul, God uses his people to tell his story and spread his gospel. When you take those people out, you know who he puts in today? You. Me. He's still telling the story. He's still spreading this gospel. He's still using his people. Luke didn't end the story because the story's not over. And the story didn't end with Paul. The story continues with you. That the Spirit of Jesus Christ lived in Paul and did this work through him. And the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you now. If you are in Jesus This is the story of the rest of the history of the world. This is what he's doing, what he's going to keep doing until Jesus comes back. And we get to be part of that. When you open your Bible with somebody and you're like, will you pray with me and ask God to teach us about himself right now? Let's read this paragraph or let's read this chapter and ask God what he's teaching. When you make disciples that way, that's this story. That's what God is doing for the entire history of the world, all over the world. And he wants you to be part of it. And he gives you his spirit for that purpose. And he guarantees it will happen. The snake cannot stop God's work in Jesus. God has made this promise and God always keeps his promises. And so I pray that you'll be encouraged by that today. When we see that it is, it is a spiritual work right here. Like these are people, right, they've got eyes and they've got ears. But they don't have spiritual eyes, they don't have spiritual ears. Like they, they heard with their ears, they heard Paul say these words that day. But they didn't hear with their spiritual ears, they still rejected what he said. And so we're going to pray right now, we're going to ask God to give us spiritual ears to hear what he's saying, spiritual eyes to see what his plan is for the world, the way that he's working, and hearts that will turn to him and say, yes, use us in that way. Make us that type of church. Make us that type of people. Do this. Do this in us and through us. You're the only one who can, but we know you can, and we believe your promises. Do this. So we're going to pray that together, and then we're going to have some people down here during our prayer time if you want to come during this last song and pray with somebody or just pray on your own. Uh, But will you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that through years of journey today and city after city after city and storms and snake bites and prison that you were at work and all of it and none of it could stop you. And I pray today, Father, that we could look at our lives and 
and the storms in our lives and the darkness in our lives and the opposition of the snake and the opposition of the world and the opposition of people. And we would say, God's at work in this and nothing can stop him and I believe you and I want, give me that type of faith. Use me in that way. Father, I do ask that as Jesus lives in us by his spirit that you will give us the humility of Jesus and that it would replace the pride of our hearts that you would give us soft hearts, that you would open our eyes to see spiritually, that you would open our ears to hear spiritually. Help us today, Father, to hear what you are saying to our hearts and help us see what you are doing and use us in that way for your glory, for your gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.